God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Salah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Salah. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. And then from the New Testament, continuing in our study of the book of Luke, chapter 8 and verse 22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even winds and the winds and the water, and they obey him. Where is your faith? Faith is universal. The world encourages faith. I listen quite a bit to some of the rock stations on my car radio, and a song I heard recently on 102.5 Soft Rocks said, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And about then I hit the mute button. <laughs> and I rode a while and was thinking of other things and I hit the mute button again. And whether he'd sung something between or not, I don't know. But he was still singing, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. So I hit the power button and switched him off for good. 
There's, then there's the song which uh, seems to come up quite often these days. Uh, then I saw her face, and now I'm a believer. And I always laugh and snigger at that because I want to ask the question, a believer in what? In plastic surgery? <laughs> Orthodontics? Or testosterone? <laughs> I don't know. Steve Jobs, the CEO and developer of Apple products, said in his 2005 commencement speech at Stanford University, his alma mater, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life. And the Reader's Digest saw fit to quote that as a quotable quote, no less. And the inimitable Mark Twain said, faith is believing what ain't so. <laughs> now consider this piece of modern sculpture, remembering that art and literature and poetry and music really track our culture. So this is speaking very powerfully concerning where we are as a culture. It's a modern piece. Richard MacDonald took seven years to sculpt this. And here's what he says about this, cre this creation. He says, it speaks to me and for society. Bold statement. He is poised on the point of a box which is whatever you are focused on in your life, and you're poised at that moment and you juggle everything in life and you basically blindfolded to the future, so you have to trust in yourself and have no fear. He's expressing what our culture believes about faith. And really what we see in this next picture is that that type of worldly faith is the unbiblical faith is unconnected or connected to a false object. It's as if we said concerning the power needed in this building, let's just hang the main cable out the window and hope somehow or other electricity will flow. But it's actually unconnected, and for that reason it is totally irrational. You trust yourself, a dying person with weakening muscles and wrinkling face, limited resources. That's why I draw a box around it and call it a prison. You are imprisoning yourself in yourself. Now, biblical faith is very different for a number of reasons. Biblical faith really connects you with God. And so it is rational because Jesus is referring to an actual event and Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. We believe in historical facts, not just some karma or whatever. Therefore, biblical faith is life-giving and life-sustaining. Now, in the story that we read from the Gospel of Luke, these were seasoned fishermen who had experienced many storms. They often come down uh, in the gullies from the Golan Heights, 
and the wind picks up speed. It's superheated by the desert, and a storm can erupt in the twinkling of an eye. So it's not as if they were taken by surprise concerning this. In fact, this storm was so big that when Matthew describes it in his gospel, he calls it a seismic storm from which we get our English word seismic activity, an earthquake. It may have been a literal earthquake for the, Red, the Sea of Galilee is the beginning of a great rift that runs all the way through East Africa down to the equator in Kenya. And many earthquakes have taken place along that line. Uh, whether it was actual or a metaphor, the point is that this was something that went beyond their normal experience and they were truly afraid. The disciples go and wake Jesus up. He doesn't even stir through these terrifying events. He's ignoring all the danger and resting completely at peace. So they shake him awake. Master, they say, don't you care that we're going to die? And immediately Jesus commands the elements peace. He says, be still. And the storm subsides and all is calm. And then he turns to his disciples and he asks this question. Where is your faith? What did he mean? Was he angry? Did he say, where is your faith? Some commentators suggest that. He was saying to them, you cowards, are you afraid of dying? Or was he saying, where is your faith? Why didn't you command the winds and the storm? Where is your faith? There's a third possibility, and that's the one that we will be exploring this morning. See, these issues confront us every day, don't they? Both the issue of where is your faith in terms of unanswered prayer, where is your faith in terms of lack of power, and where is your faith in your own personal earthquake? It's as if sometimes circumstances break our teeth. And we are left with raw nerve exposed to cold blasts of air. And we experience that regularly in our lives in numerous directions. Why is this question so important? Where is your faith? Well, let's have a look at a few scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 6 in the New Life Version, it is proclaimed that a man cannot please God unless he has faith. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. The one must also, that one must also know that God gives, must know that God gives what he has promised to the one who keeps on looking for him. And then Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. 
So you cannot be saved without grace and without faith. This is therefore an essential element in every Christian life and in every Christian experience. And what we can say on the base of this is that faith itself is the gift of God. Now all faith is in a sense a gift given to you or it is something that is produced within you. You don't produce faith yourself. It is a response. Let's take the issue of buying a motor car. You want a new motor car and so you do the research and you go down Main Street and the salesman wants to convict you even before you walk onto the parking lot and so he calls his sales lot Honest Abe. He wants you to be impressed and trust him. He's not going to sell you a lemon or a water-damaged vehicle. He's honest, as honest as Abe. And then he sets to work. He first tries to build a relationship with you, telling you how great he is and how trustworthy he is, finding out about your life, entering into the detail, as if he's really very interested, but all he's actually interested in is your checkbook, which if you're wise, you've hidden away at this stage. What he's doing is producing faith in you. And in the case of biblical faith, this issue is so important to God that Jesus is constantly increasing the faith of his disciples, not leaving it to chance, but doing that in a deliberate way, doing it according to an agenda. So the entire gospel of Luke is the Savior coming to seek us who are lost, but also seeking to save us. And being saved includes the issue of growing our faith so that we can better appreciate the marvels and wonders of who God is. Let's consider the genesis and progress of faith then. In the second most, relation, second most important relationship you will ever have in your life, choosing a life partner. It always, or should always, begin with knowledge. And so you want to get to know this person. And in the movies, you often have boy meets girl, talk through the night, sun comes up, they say we're in love. In your own experience, you remember what it was like when you first fell in love and you talked incessantly and constantly and shared and probed and laughed together, all in the process of building knowledge. But knowledge must go beyond knowledge to be faith. And many people have only got the knowledge element of Christianity and none of the rest. And this morning, Jesus has engineered the situation for you to go further in the dynamic of faith because that knowledge ultimately leads to trust. Uh, sometimes we're fooled by this, but in general, we always start with the element of trust. I can entrust the rest of my life to this person is what we feel based on the knowledge we have. That in turn leads to commitment 
It's when, that, when the girl sort of gets a furniture look in her eyes. You know that you're getting near to the, the commitment stage. And so they go and they commit to each other in the presence of God. That in turn leads to enjoyment. They have enjoyment on many levels, physical, mental, spiritual. They enjoy life together. And hopefully the relationship continues to be an enjoyable one. And out of that comes fruitfulness. The most obvious fruitfulness is children. But there's a new productiveness about each life as they are in synergy with each other and far more is accomplished and they have a greater element of joy in their lives together and they can share one another's burdens because when you have two people, the load is halved. And then there's all the bliss of the intimacy, which hopefully is mental and spiritual as well as physical. And that arrow on the side indicates that it's a dynamic process. This is something that repeats. So if you want to keep your marriage fresh, you keep on in this dynamic. If you want to keep your Christian experience fresh and vibrant, you continue in that dynamic. Now just think of the story that we're considering this morning. Jesus increased the knowledge of the disciples in this episode. After he has stilled the waves and the storm, they are staggered. And they may have been afraid of the storm, but it says in the scriptures, then they were afraid and stood in awe of him. So he has increased their knowledge. Do you think that they trusted him more after that? No doubt about it. Their commitment, was it deeper? Again, the answer must be a resounding yes. Did they enjoy him more? Well, yes. Now they say, could it be that he is divine? That's why they're so afraid. Because the Bible teaches so explicitly, no one can look on God and live. Are we about to die from being in the presence of Jesus when we were delivered from the storm? May well have been part of their thought process. And of course their lives go on to full productivity and fruitfulness in their discipleship. So it's a rational thing that Jesus is calling for in a dynamic way. So let's try and get a bit of a more handle on faith and see what it is. Faith is a lightning rod. We don't just hang a wire out the window and hope that we connect with God. This is a rod that goes up into heaven and connects with God and it draws down the power and the presence of God in a realistic way into our lives. It is a means and not an end. It is not that we have faith in faith. It is rather that we have faith in God. Secondly, faith is a spiritual muscle. It's different to 
a faculty, like your intelligence and your personality are faculties that God has given you. But faith is a muscle. And you know how you strengthen muscles. You go into the gymnasium and you exercise. And so God wants to strengthen your faith. He's going to send you into the gymnasium. Thirdly, faith is the opposite of sight. You don't need faith if you can see. If we blacked out the auditorium and you came walking in and it was pitch black and you couldn't see a thing, you would need faith to find the chair that you know is there. But if the lights are on, you don't need faith because you walk right there and plonk yourself down. Therefore, God promotes black experiences so that we may develop faith. In this sense, then, all suffering is productive. So, Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, not only do we rejoice in peace and in hope and in living in the place of access of God, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces character. So God is at work. And then, of course, faith is a root system. The roots have to go down into the nourishing soil and draw up the nourishment for the plant to grow and flower and bear fruit. Without the root system being richly planted in the ground, nothing can happen. And so God plants us, as it were, and we have the underground experiences in order that we might draw up the nourishment of God. A young man was hitchhiking, thumbing a ride in the city of Durban. And members of our congregation stopped and took him home and introduced him to Jesus Christ. He came to see me regularly and we set up a, a mentoring time together and we were wrestling with the word of God and how to be committed to the values of Christ in a world of opposing values. And about six months into the relationship, he came walking into my office sobbing with bewilderment and in his hands he had the twisted frames of his eyeglasses. He said, I was in a Bible study. And the members of the Bible study said, if you had faith in God, you would be able to put your glasses on the ground and stomp on them as proof of your sincerity, and God will heal your eyesight. And he had the twisted glasses and the bad eyesight. What is going on, he asked. This is so bewildering. Where is my faith? Didn't I have enough faith? Didn't I demonstrate it in sincerity? And he was really shaken and it took many months to work through that with him. On another occasion, a gentleman walked into my office referred by a mutual friend 
and he spoke so low and softly that his voice was virtually not audible and he whispered to me, my wife of many years, of decades now, has a degenerative disease that is diminishing her physically and mentally. And a friend said to me, if you had faith, she would be cured immediately. But she is not cured. Oh, if I had the faith, I could prevent this from happening. If only I had more faith. And we talked for two hours and I could not penetrate this thought that his faith was not able to heal his beloved wife. And he left and I was fearful for his life. In that same church, one of the deacons one day came and said, I've been diagnosed with a brain tumor and I'm going to trust God to heal me. And he denied, much to, my, with much to my admiration, all medical help. And I moved on to another church. And his wife would call me from time to time to say, not only is there no progress, but he's actually degenerating. And one Sunday, early in the morning, it was Val Mansfield, and she said, Pat died this morning. And I looked up at the calendar, and it was Easter Sunday. And I said, oh, Pat, oh, Val, Pat's answers have finally been, Pat's prayers have finally been answered. He's in a new body without a tumor, rejoicing in the presence of God. So where is your faith? You see, out of this emerges a second picture. The first one is Jesus rebuking the waves and the wind. The second one, which to my mind is the thrust of the story, is Jesus asleep in the boat. Where is your faith? Can't you trust the providence of God? Do you think it will help that you stand there and shiver with fear because you're about to die? Why don't you just trust the providence of God and this is what it would look like. You would sleep through the earthquake. Now Jesus is the word. He embodies the entire Bible. So when we read Psalm 46, God is a present help in time of trouble. Though the earth shake and the surging of the seas quake with it, that ends with the words, be still. In the Hebrew, that is a strong commandment. It's as if the psalmist was a film director and the battle is raging and he yells, cut. And everybody goes limp from action and starts rejoicing and celebrating a different type of life altogether where they are not called to action and ferocity. So when Jesus speaks the words, peace be still, I think he's picking up Psalm 46 in a very wonderful way and he's not only addressing the wind and the waves, He's addressing your heart. On the basis of knowledge, he's calling for trust, for commitment, for enjoyment, 
and for fruitfulness. Constantine Economides, the young Greek man with the eyeglasses, went to Athens and planted a church. I never heard again from the man whose wife was so degenerating. And of course I got the call from Val Mansfield to say that Pat was finally in his new body. Let us pray together.